Hello! You are listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm your host, Ben Shaw, and today's show is sponsored by Sunpowered Yachts. There are so many benefits of having solar on your boat, and today's panels are more efficient than ever, so much so that if you already have solar, you might want to consider upgrading. And if you're looking for new panels, solar controllers, wiring, and any other solar gear, or even just someone to talk to about installation and upgrades, you should contact Lyle and Katie at Sun Powered Yachts because they really know solar. And as sailors themselves, they cater to the boating community. Now, I met Katie and Lyle at the Richmond Boat Show a number of years back. I had Katie on the podcast on episode 10. And after talking with both of them, I knew without question that I'd reach out to Sun Powered Yachts when it was time for me to upgrade my panels. Now, I'm installing new Maxion 415-watt panels from Sam Powered Yachts that are going to allow me the peace and quiet of going for days without running the engine. And for listeners in the Bay Area, panels are available for pickup in Hayward, California, which will save you a bundle on shipping. You can find out more and order your own panels at sunpoweredyachts.com. Today, I also want to give a A big shout out to Spirit Marine Services, a boat consulting business run by my friends Jack and Sonia. I've had Jack and Sonia on the show back on episode 90. And if you heard that interview, you know that they really know their stuff about boats, having fixed up their own boat, a Passport 42, and done many, many projects for others through Spirit Marine. Their focus is on providing the best quality service and advice when it comes to marine needs, especially system design, boat buying, and project guidance. They were extremely helpful to me as I worked through my own electrical systems upgrade, which is why I wanted to give them this shout out today. So while not officially a sponsor of Out the Gate, I definitely wanted to recognize them for their help and guidance. And if you're facing a project you're a little apprehensive to tackle on your own boat, reach out to Jack and Sonia at spiritmarineservices.com. They'll help you out for sure. Lastly, you can join the Out the Gate crew by becoming a Patreon patron and supporting the podcast directly. Not only will you help keep the show going, but you become eligible for special benefits such as extra content and swag This podcast takes me time and costs money to keep doing, so I really appreciate any and all support. Head over to patreon.com forward slash out the gate and sign up for as little as $5 a month. What a deal. Okay, this week, Satchel Douglas joins me once again to talk about his attempt to wing foil across the Straits of Juan de Fuca as part of the race to Alaska. Satchel's taken part in this race before, and I had him on the show when he was part of Team Shut Up and Drive. And you can listen to that interview on episode nine of the podcast. Now, the race to Alaska is a great race that goes from Port Townsend, Washington, to Ketchikan, Alaska, 750 miles over cold water. And the only rules are that you can't have a motor and you have to be self-supported. The first leg of the race just started this past Monday on June 5th. 
And this year, Satchel qualified to start the race aboard his wingfoil board. And the story of his qualifying for the race is an adventure in itself. So the race is underway right now, but Satchel and I talked a couple of weeks ago about his latest attempt at this, and I'll give you an update on his progress at the end of this interview. So let's get right to it. I'm Satchel Douglas. I'm a naval architect by trade. I'm a sailor, an avid wing foiler, do a lot of other outdoor sports, and now I'm also a boat builder. Sweet. A lot to talk about. And you are very helpful to me. Um, I sent you some schematics for the electrical system that I've been working on the boat. So I have to first and foremost, thank you for looking over those. And... Well, I still haven't got you comments on the, on the final revision, <laughs> but it's no worries. It's... No worries. You were super helpful along the way. So, well, I've, you know, I've been working, I work for right now. I, I work for a YouTube channel called Acorn to Arabella, which hopefully you're going to get to talk to at some point, but yeah. I've been doing all the electrical system design for that boat. And it's, you know, a similar goal, right? A cruising boat um, that wants to be off grid in in his case, you know, for months at a time. Yeah. And it's, it's been a pretty nice engineering challenge and, and learning process to integrate modern DC to DC converter based electronic systems. Into People may a, have heard of a Acorn Arabella because they, they've gotten pretty damn popular on YouTube. But for those who don't know it, quickly explain what the... It's pretty cool. I grew up a couple towns over from this guy, Steve, who decided he wanted to build a boat to live on. And he decided the best way to do that was to cut down some trees in his backyard and start seasoning the wood and go from there. So seven years later, uh, we're launching the boat in about a month. Um, How many years later? Seven. Seven years. And he, Steve didn't really know from sailing, right? Steve has literally never sailed. In fact, Steve, like Steve has never been on a sailboat <laughs> and he won't step foot on a sailboat until it's the boat that he built. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, people always ask me like, oh, is this a common thing to do? And I'm like, build your own boat. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fairly run of the mill. I mean, it's a big project, but people do it. And they're like, yeah, but is it common to cut down your own trees? And I'm like, no, I've literally never heard of anybody incorporating the timber harvesting and milling process into boat building. The only further step you could go is truly plant the trees and wait. Well, for and his grandfather day. planted a lot of them. Oh, really? Great, That's sorry. Great grandfather. Yeah. Great yeah. grandfather. Wow. Wow. So, That's really cool. And I was too, I mean, it's a, a little bit of a step out of the office for me to be here and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm handling all the engineering, but that's a very small part of my job. Most of my job is physically installing systems. We were aligning the engine earlier today. Um, so that's where you are right now while you're talking. Yeah. I'm in Western Massachusetts. Yeah. In Granby. And I mean, he's got an army of volunteers, right? Army of volunteers and, and a, you know, a handful of employees really pushing to get the boat in the water June 17th. June 7th. Oh my gosh. It's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. Yep. It's um, going to be really cool. That's really cool. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> um, um, I do want to have Steve on and you connected us. So that's great. Yeah. We'll have to yep. talk at some point. Um, I know, but he's a little busy, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think you might be better at this point. The window for interviewing him before the launch might have yeah. sailed. <laughs> I can, I understand that. I understand that. But I want to talk to you 
about well i mean we've got so many things to talk about but the main thing that's on your radar as i understand um is another race to alaska and the last time we talked you were part of a team doing the race and you had a fantastic experience um i think we talked before you did the race we did yep um yeah 2019 team shut up and drive right san francisco based team natalie creo uh, is a skipper and owner of Figaro 2 called Ambale South Beach. And she does a ton of offshore stuff. And two of the crew at the time, Neil and I, had both done Race to Alaska in 2016. And we met there and we both lived in the bay and I convinced him to sail with, with Nat afterwards. And then over the th- about two and a half years, we convinced Nat that Race to Alaska was an adventure worth worth undertaking. So yeah, we talked, Nat and I talked to you, I think, Around the same time of year, maybe May 2019, before that yeah. race. It went and great. It I mean, went great. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell I mean, them. Well, since we talked to you beforehand, let's let's yeah. go back. And I mean, people should go back and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Um, but people should go back and listen to it. I should listen I'll to it. Some of the see highlights. what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the uh, highlights from the trip? Or low lights. Uh, there's a number of, well, there's a number of things. I, you know, but the biggest part of the preparation for us was designing and building this pedal drive system. Mm-hmm. And we recruited four cyclists. So the crew was comprised of four dedicated cyclists and four sailors. And the pedal drive, you know, was four bikes chained together to two propellers. Mm-hmm. Because the Figaro 2 is a great, it's a fantastic offshore boat. It doesn't perform well in light wind. Yeah, And so... It was the boat we had. It was the boat we were going to race. And we decided the best way to do that is to make a kick-ass pedal drive system. And so we could pedal at four knots. And we ended up pedaling about 80 miles over the course of the race. We finished in about four days, 21 hours. And of that, we pedaled for about 24 hours of that that race. What percentage of the race was that? Uh, It was 24 divided by roughly 18%. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, we finished in third place in a 33 foot boat that, yeah, is not competitive ratings wise. We got right. beat I by mean, a, most of the most of the winners are usually multi holes, right? Either multi hole. I mean, we got it was actually a uh, what was the boat? It had a canting keel. The boat that won that year had a canting keel. Okay. <laughs> it was 40 feet long and all carbon. Uh, <laughs> and then the second place was a 36 foot rate custom racing trimaran imported from New Zealand. And then us. But the, what, so the great well. things about this race is it attracts all kinds of vessels. And I mean, we'll get to that because yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Have you done the race since? No. In fact, there's only it. So because of COVID, the race didn't run again until last year. Got it. But yeah, the I, some of the highlights, highlights was definitely the pedal drive and, and it kicking ass, you know, we would just be pedaling directly upwind in light air and other boats would be tacking back and forth and back and forth. We'd just be pointed straight at the mark, music on, eating and drinking on the pet on the bikes, just jamming. Uh that was a highlight. Another highlight was coming out of Johnstone Strait and getting that southerly. You know, the way this race works, you get up around Vancouver Island and you really hope for a southerly pressure system southwest, you know, to roll in. And then you can just go offshore and heck it straight, set a kite, and absolutely send it, you know, the second half of the race. Yeah. Um, and we got that system and it was timed perfectly. It was windy. 
and we just oh. surfed for like a day straight. <laughs> Remind the people that the, and... the start and finish points. Yeah, the, so the start, there's two legs to the race. First leg is kind of a qualifier from Port Townsend to Victoria, British Columbia, and then Victoria to... And you have to do that in a certain amount of time to qualify? Yeah, you have 36 hours for the first leg. Oh. Yep. Um, so yeah, the surf, I mean, just great downwind. Big waves, big wind, ripping. Yeah. Um, blew up a kite, put up another one, that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> true ocean racing. Um, and then I think the third, the final highlight was like how well the team worked together because we finished and none of us were, you know, mentally or, or physically or sleep destroyed or sleep deprived. That's right? awesome. We had a watch schedule that worked. We rolled into the finish line, like boat was clean, went to our hotel, slept, put the engine in the next day and like turn around, started on the delivery back. And the team that finished after us, like. None of them had slept the whole race. They were they were you know sleep deprived. They were completely beat up, and we were like, yeah, that's probably why we beat you, right? We were still making decisions. Yeah, making good decisions. That's yeah, so key. It can lead to so many problems. All right, so you haven't done it since. Has the race yep. changed at all since then? The, the the race has changed in two ways. The first big way is they've started allowing boats to go out the outside passage right so you can now leave from victoria go out one fuca strait and up the west coast of vancouver island you know there are additional safety requirements you have to be carrying a life raft you have to be fully offshore certified did you mention where the the end point is ketchikan ketchikan okay the uh, the other way it's changed is as it's gotten older and more credible it's faced increasing regulatory scrutiny mm -hmm. and in 2022 a number of people were rescued by private boats or by the Coast Guard, including at least one airlift. And so the amount of vetting and scrutiny of potential contestants has has increased. It's less of a free-for-all and more of a mature adult event. I mean, it's good for safety's sake, but part of the allure of this race was it was kind of a free-for-all. It was kind of a, a, yeah, you know, as they say, like bike racing, ride what you brung, right? Or like... Yeah. Just whatever, you know, make it make it work. There are two guys who famously tried to do it in like a 13-foot wooden open boat. They made it pretty far, but like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy, but you're proposing to do it how this year? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I might, <laughs> other people might, I think I'm less crazy, but other people probably think it's crazier. I have been approved to race stage one on my wing foil. Stage one means what? From Port Townsend to Victoria. Okay. And if yeah, you make not it going there... all the way to Alaska this year. Okay. So you'll yeah. just do stage one. Just going to do stage one. Yeah. They won't let me do the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. That was kind of a middle ground. I don't think I'm ready to do the whole thing yet. Got it. That that's going to require a little bit more, a little bit more training, a little bit more gear optimization. You know, the challenge with doing the whole race on a wing foil is carrying enough food and camping supplies to survive on your own for, you know, 10 days to two weeks. Yeah. So you can stop along the way, right? You can camp. Yeah. The, so the rule is pretty simple. Obviously no engines. Uh, that's not a problem for my wing foil board. Yeah. And you have, <laughs> yeah. and you can't have an engine on the boat, right? Correct. You have to remove it. Yeah. You have to remove it. Yeah, yeah. I like, like that. Not a problem for the wing foil. That changes the dynamic, right? That means yeah. you're not going to take your TP-52 on this race. Yeah, yeah. 
So the challenge of going the full race on the wing foil is is carrying the gear because you're not allowed support. So you can't have a support boat. You can't have somebody, you know, passing you drink bottles. You are allowed to use any publicly available resources. So you can stop in town and have a burger and stay in a hotel. As long as you walk back out to your boat and keep going. And people have are done there that enough towns frequently. along the way where you could map it out and, and get the, the civilization. The real question, maybe we could put this out to your listeners is do they stock dehydrated food in Port Hardy and Bella Bella? And, uh-huh. <laughs> You know who? What distributor do I need to contact? Oh, you want to, to You don't want to just go from town to town. You want to resupply places, right? Because the the thing that really screws you over when you're trying to finish a long distance voyage like this is stopping. Yeah. The more time you spend going nowhere, the worse your average speed is. And so, just being able to keep moving. Obviously, I'm gonna have to go ashore to sleep, but. I could do a hundred plus mile day if the wind's right. And if the wind's right, I don't want the time of stopping to go into a town. And how many hours is a hundred plus mile day on your wing foil? It's like eight. All right. It's a yeah, long that's, day though, standing yeah. up all day, holding the day. foil. How yeah. long, what's the longest yeah, you've been true. consecutively wing foiling for? Do you think the longest, my longest consecutive ride without like, you know, stopping on the beach, hanging out and going back out is five hours. Okay. So, you know what they say about endurance events. You only have to train for half the distance and then you can do the rest with the adrenaline. Now, there's more training needed for the full full thing. I'm glad you say that because I just mentioned to you that I'm I'm training for a marathon and I I went out for um, a 12-mile run today and I was like, crap, I have to do more than twice that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you only have to do, you know, half to two-thirds or something and then... (laughs) In oh, one consecutive yeah. event. Uh, how long I, it's, is the it, first leg, Satchel? First leg is is 40 nautical miles. Okay. So much more manageable. Uh, my average speed on, on the wing foil. Um, it's, my average is about 10 knots. Oh, okay. Yeah. But average made good, you know, VMG average. If there's an up, if the place you're trying to go upwind is closer to four or five knots. Okay. So I estimate that crossing will take eight hours because you they time the race start with the title boost. So you get about a one knot boost for six hours and wow. about half of that distance is typically upwind in the westerly and then crossing straight. So talk about, though, the gear that you're going to carry for just for eight hours. I mean, you're going to have to have some sustenance, enough water. That's probably the heaviest weight. And I would imagine I I mean, I've only been wing foiling a couple of times. Um, you got to still foil you got to get the board up which means weight is an issue yep absolutely yeah so this is one of, this is the what was the first big thing that the race to alaska vetting committee uh really pushed back on they were like yeah, we don't think last you can time carry all that you and i stuff. chatted you were like well we might not do this podcast because i might not be allowed to go <laughs> yeah i'll tell you. that i'll tell you the story of of the whole process so okay. i applied in january and i was like look I've wing foiled, you know, I've wing foiled over 600 miles in the last year and a half. I ride a lot. I want to do the race. I've done the race before. I know what that entails. I know I'm not fully ready, but here's kind of my training plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, and they came back and said, yeah, you're crazy. Um, we don't want to let you do this. But they also said, but it would also make a really good story for you and for us. 
And so if you can prove to us that you can do it, we'll consider it. And so it was kind of an open-ended. They were like, you know, we want to see you ride with the gear. We want to see you be able to move the boat without wind, you know, move the floorboard without wind. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to see some long distance stuff. I was like, great. So I first started testing different ways to carry gear, strapping dry bags to the deck. Um, What I ended up with is actually just a dry bag backpack. I tested Mm -hmm. a couple different models uh, and I got one that's working pretty well. And the reason for that is when you strap stuff to the deck, it's really hard to make it not wobble. And that really throws off your foiling. And also you increase the, you know, rotational inertia or the swing weight of the board. That makes it a little harder to get up on foil. And you make the board less stable uh, when you're riding. So on my board, I have mounting points for my kayak paddles and my pump because it's kind of a bulky item. And I'm on a big, like I'm on a very much beginner board because I want that extra volume That's to stability. carry the weight. So I'm on a seven foot six, 144 liter board and when you say pump you um that's to repump the fo- the wing if it exactly. starts to sag well partially if it starts to sag hopefully they're not leaking um i won't yeah. bring my leaky wings but also just in case i need to stop somewhere and change size of wing wow. okay. when the if the weather changes um and just you know i'm i may have to kayak paddle a portion of the trip and then inflate the wing when the wind comes up um and so you you've got a change of sail in your backpack is one of the things yeah yep yeah so in the backpack yeah this some of this still needs to be figured out but i've tested who i've carried all of this stuff um because it's 36 hours i am actually going to carry a sleeping pad and a sleeping bag um because hopefully the first day i can make the upwind distance and sleep for the night and then cross if there's not enough time before it's dark um, and then i'm also carrying yeah food water and a ton of safety gear which, what safety gear does the yeah race mandate? so the race mandates uh personal locator beacons 406 megahertz you know satellite personal locator beacons um and you know life jacket other stuff. Basically, the race rules are if the Coast Guard requires you to have it for the type of vessel you're on, we also require it and we require the personal locator beacons. Okay. I will also be carrying a VHF um, satellite, separate satellite messenger beacon. Um, a little Garmin inReach or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't use, not not Garmin, no product placement here. Uh, but yeah, same <laughs> someone. Not sponsored by them, so you know, can't if you want to, Garmin, hit me up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and and uh, yeah, that's most of the that's most of the safety gear. Cool. The it's it's actually really interesting. Um, well, back to the training stories. So, yeah. so I said I'm going to do that. I went down to Florida in the winter, brought my stuff, did a bunch of different trips, practiced carrying the kayak, like attaching the kayak paddles, the pump inflating the wing while floating, uh, riding in all kinds of different conditions. And then I did kind of a mega down. I did a 40 mile trip because I was like, it's, it's a 40 mile thing. I'll go do 40 miles. Yeah. Um, And I did that carrying all the gear, you know, with my backpack loaded. I think I was also carrying a jet boil, like loaded, loaded it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, 
the conditions, the wind was a little light, but that was the five hour trip. Went went great. Um, and then I so I'm like, all right, I'm set. I send this all back to the vetting committee, and they're like, the water's really warm in Florida. We don't think that counts. And also, you were too close to the shore. I was going <laughs> to say the one big difference is water temperature. Which, yeah. So then I came back up here, and I did another. I did a 20 mile run out of Boston. Um, they were like, we want to see you do this in bigger and colder water. So further away from shore. And I was like, great. I'll just ride out 10 miles out. I, it was actually, it's only about seven miles offshore and back. And then they added distance for sailing upwind. And I sent that to them and I was like, great. And they come back and they're like, ah, that's not quite enough. And at this point I was like, tell me specifically what you want me to do. Because this, me guessing yeah, at what I can't keep guessing and keep doing these things it takes time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm running out, right? This was at the beginning of, or the end of March and the deadline is the end of April. And so they got back to me and they were like, if you can ride out to Block Island from Point Judith and back without stopping at the island, you're in. And what's the distance there? That's a full, like a 10, it's a full 10 miles. Okay. Um, it's a full 10 miles. It's a pretty open to the Atlantic swell body yeah. of water. It's got a strong current. It's a pretty, you know, it was a good, it was a good standpoint because the goal being if I ride out 10 and back 10, I've ridden the total distance of crossing Juan de Fuca without going to land. Okay. I'm going to stop you just for a second because I realized there may be listeners who aren't familiar with wingfoil. Now here in the Bay Area, they've kind of just popped up and are everywhere over the past five years, I'd say, but it's relatively new. Explain to people wingfoiling. What is the gear? What is the board? What is, what do you- Yeah. yeah. Wingfoiling, I would, the best way I would describe it is a cross between windsurfing and kite foiling. Uh, so kite foiling, you have the kite, that you're attached to and it's flying up in the air. Um, and then you're riding a board with a hydrofoil. So it's a, a airplane wing, a small airplane wing under the surface and you rise up out of the water, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the foil creates your lateral resistance and the lift to keep you up in the air. The kite is the wind force. Wing foiling basically takes the kite off of the lines and makes a freestanding windsurf sail that you hold onto with two hands. That looks uh, almost more like a little hand glider. It looks more like a, they call it a hand wing often. Yeah. It, it looks like, a, it looks very much like a little hand glider held vertically like a sail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the hardest sport I've ever learned. Now it really? feels really easy, but the process of learning was, was by far the hardest. The foiling part? Process. I'd actually kite foiled beforehand. So not even that. Um, the combination of, flying the wing and pumping the board up out of the water uh, so the, the hardest thing about wing foiling is conditions you need it when you're a beginner you need you know for somebody my size i'm 200 pounds you need a six meter wing and 18 not 18 to 20 knots of wind yeah consistently get up on foil and most places where you get 18 to 20 knots of wind you also get two foot chop yeah. which makes standing on the board really hard my advice to beginners go to a place behind a breakwater best way mm -hmm. to learn okay and also get towed upwind by a jet ski or a friend with a kayak or a instructor well I, I mean like i said i've only done it a couple times that was the 
I got towed behind a dinghy to, to kind of get yeah. the feel for the foil, right? Yep. There That's another enough, great strategy. I didn't realize that I needed that much wind to learn. So I was I out there and I'm like, I can't get up. There's not enough wind. So. This is an incredibly common problem, right? That's so many people don't want to go out when it's 20 knots is scary, right? You don't want to go out in 20, but that's what you need to start. Yeah. Now I can ride in 12, but you get there. Right. Okay. So the reason I asked that is because we're, you were talking about sailing out to Block Island where there is major swell. You're out in the, in the ocean. How does this board uh, react in the big swell? I mean, you are up yep. above it, but still talk yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, so the, so I to I went out to Block Island riding with a friend who's another wing foiler, um, and it was blowing roughly twenty five to thirty from the east southeast. Mm -hmm. So very reachy, great wind direction. We could just reach out and back, but it had been blown for a little while, and the swell was six feet, mm -hmm. um, six foot wind swell. Now that's significant wave height, right? So that means there are waves that are eight to ten feet in that mix. Uh, it was a little, it was a little overwhelming at first, right? We rode out from behind the breakwater, and all of a sudden you're in swell where, when you're at the bottom, you cannot see the horizon anymore. The wing becomes depowered because there's not much wind down oh, there. Oh, jeez, yeah. And you're when you're at even when you're at the top, your friend is like five waves away, and you can only see him when you're both on the top of the same wave. Um, so yeah, you're, there's two things going on. One is you're controlling your ride height with the swell, right? Because you're just like, you're going as the swell comes at you, you go down into the trough and you come back up into the peak. Then you're adjusting your wing sheeting and your wind force as the wind speed changes from the top to the bottom. Which and then constantly. Oh, constantly. Yeah. I have GoPro video and my, it's like my feet and my arms are doing two different things and they're moving the whole time. <laughs> and then when you get to the top of the wave, there are two problems. One is that the wave's often slightly breaking at the top. And that's just a lot of extra energy that you have to handle on the foil. And the other problem is that you're going so fast. If you don't slam your weight forward on your front foot and pitch the foil down, you just launch out of the backside of the wave. And then you fall. Wow. So yeah, constant, you know, an hour, two hours of just constant adjustments. Was there a lot of falling in that or were you able to stay up most of the time? I, so this is, it's, it's a good question. I've ridden in swell a lot. And so I've gotten pretty good at just adjusting my position um, constantly. And I'm riding a pretty stable, easy foil. Yeah. My friend was riding a very high speed foil. Um, and he fell a lot and eventually he got so tired from all of the falling that he couldn't get back up and mm. foiling. Um, this is on our, while we were attempting to make it back. And so we ended up having to call the coast guard wow. and get rescued. Yeah, it was, it was a little scary. It went from a, it went from a, you know, I'm trying to qualify to this too. I need to make sure my frenzy makes it back home. Yeah. And How far out were you? We were five miles offshore. Okay. Basically in the middle of the channel. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was became clear, you know, he was able to get up, you know, maybe once every 10 minutes and then he would ride for, you know, a couple hundred yards and then fall. And I'm just riding around thinking, this is it. Like, 
we got to do something here because you know water was 43 degrees or 48 degrees or something we're in wetsuits but it's blowing 25 like so you're gonna it's just exhausted yeah 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 I, I was giving him food and caffeine and that just wasn't enough yeah so so yeah we this is coming back to the safety equipment pulled out the vhf called the coast guard uh told them you know pan 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 this is uh it's funny you don't know, really know how to identify yourself right you don't have a boat name you just yeah. <laughs> they they just started calling us in vessel in distress so you can in the future you can just say this is vessel in distress location you know we're two people on essentially surfboards and we're in need of assistance wow how long did it take them to get out to you 30 minutes longest 30 minutes of my life i bet yeah and they don't they didn't tell us they were coming they just kept checking in with us every 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But, you know, they picked us up really professional. They picked us up. They picked the gear up. They were super nice. They didn't admonish us for being in the middle of Block Island Sound on a wing foil in April. Um, yeah, they were. They just dropped us off, you know, wrote down our names. They were like, yeah, have a nice day. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's a really weird feeling to go from what feels like a life or death situation to being back on land in your car trying to decide what restaurant to go to for lunch oh all in the span gosh, of an hour car. oh my gosh yeah were you, yeah. Were, you so, were you, were you um... well i was i was fine riding i would have been fine to go back but then after the 30 minute wait for the coast yeah. guard i was cold at that point i was colder than z because i was in less less of a nice wetsuit and at that point i was like you know what the coast guard is here i should and you had just stopped and, and been floating together yeah yeah, and the, the one of the nice things about wing foiling is it's at, you know if you get overwhelmed you can just stop and sit on your board. Yeah. And it's super the board's super stable. You're in 7 foot breaking waves and it's just like you're sitting in a in a pond, right? Yeah. There's not much wind at the surface. You can just sit there and relax, eat food, like pull out your I mean I pulled out my phone while we were waiting for the coast guard and was looking at marine traffic for the coast guard coming to our position. Technology is uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, so after this, the race said, Oh, you're good to go. No, they were like, in fact, I sent them. I wasn't sure what to do because I was like, I got rescued trying to qualify. That's they don't want me to get rescued in the actual race. The whole oh, point of qualifying is to not need to rescue. So I, so I was like, but I, I gotta tell them about it. So I sent the organizer, Jesse, my, you know, Strava track and being like, I don't know. If, I literally said in the email, I don't know if this helps or hurts my case. And his response was, drop that deadweight friend. He won't be with you during the race and try again. <laughs> so the next weekend, similar, almost identical conditions, dropped the friend, went out an hour out, ate some snacks, an hour back, done, qualified. Nice. Wow. Um. Well, congratulations on qualifying. Thanks. Um, you've seen some gnarly conditions out there. I hope it's not as bad on the on the passage. Like you know, I so that was twenty five to thirty. I would, I yeah. I mean, I hope it's not that much wind either. I don't need that much wind to make it. I would rather have it be twenty five to thirty and five five to six foot swell than no wind, right? Because if there's no wind, right. I'm not making it. Right. You're not kayaking the whole way. That's not no. your goal. 
I'm right. I told, I'm not doing. I didn't sign up to kayak a seven and a half foot surfboard across a twenty mile straight of open water. <laughs> That's somebody else's challenge. Yeah. So when you kayak it, you just sit on the board, cross legged. Yeah, or I have a I have a little like seat assembly, you know, foam okay. seat to raise your butt a little bit, and yeah, I just sit on it. it you know, it's a stable board. It's cool. a lot more stable than some of the race kayaks I've paddled. It's slow. It's hard to keep going in a straight line, but it does two and a half knots. Not pleasant, but yeah, get you. At get least you. you're moving forward. So, yeah. um, race start date is when? June fifth, five a.m. Coming up. Wow. Yeah. Well, we are going to check in with you afterwards and see how it goes. <laughs> so you said you had some video up online. Um, I do. Where do, yep. where do people see that? Yeah, I. You can check out my YouTube channel. It's Flow state wing foiling. Flow state, F L O. Flow state wing foil. Yep, F L O W. State. Flow state. And that's, you know, I chose that name because one of the, you know, the, I think the thing that keeps me coming back to wing foiling is the meditative state that you get into when the conditions are just perfect. And I've had this happen a ton of times where you're, you work your ass off, you get up on the foil, and then all of a sudden everything's smooth and quiet and you're just, rocketing across the surface of the water and it, you feel so connected right you know experiencing the waves and the wave energy directly instead of inside a boat so yeah flow state you can check out my instagram I'll be posting more on there coach satchel because i coach a lot of sports teach a lot of sports including wing foiling um i'm gonna have to come take lessons from you yeah you're gonna have to <laughs> um yeah and then uh you know race to alaska always has a really good social media presence R2AK, right? R2AK, yep. Yeah. Hopefully I'll be on their story. Well, Assuming there's I'm wind. So glad to catch up with you again. Best of luck. Thanks, Ben. And that's it for this week's show. Okay, now for the update on Satchel's progress. Unfortunately, conditions were not ideal for wing flying across the Strait of Juan de Fuca this past Monday. There just wasn't enough wind, and Satchel was stuck in Port Townsend. So that was a bummer. But I wouldn't put it past him to try again. And when he does, I'll get him back to talk about it. And a reminder that you can help keep out the gate afloat by becoming a Patreon patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash out the gate. And for those of you who have already joined, thank you very much. I'm your host, Ben Shaw, thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or email me directly at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. Until next time, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing.